0: You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Um, I want to begin my sermon by rereading a portion of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians from our reading today that uh, Christine read for us. But I want you to hear it as if this is coming from me to you. This prayer sums up much of my own prayer for Christ our hope in the two months since I have been here. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the, his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's been my joy in the two months that I've been here to celebrate the faith that is evident in this body. And I do pray that you might see, really see the hope that you have in Christ and the spiritual riches that he has bestowed upon you. Our reading today from the book of Revelation is a beautiful reminder of that hope. The passage comes after six judgments have been released upon the earth, and the church has suffered war and famine, deceit and destruction, martyrdom and disasters. Many who were faithful to Christ have died in those troubles but here we see what awaits them. The saints who passed through these trials found the same thing as those of every age before them. God the Father and Jesus Christ are waiting to receive them. And in their presence, they find themselves in a place where his kingdom is fully manifest, where his will is done perfectly at all times. We pray for that every week. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and here they get to see it, where there is no more war, but instead a beautiful unity of every nation and tribe and people and tongue joined in praise to the Father and the Son, where there is no more hunger or thirst ever again. No destruction shall touch them, for they are under the shepherding hand of the Lamb. And this is a vision that we need to see. We need to remember that peace awaits all who die in Christ, and is already experienced by those saints who have gone before us. But I think even more importantly, in this day and age, we need to remember that Jesus reigns. His rule is not some abstract fact for a far-off future. It is a present reality which we see and experience only in part, but is no less real for that. In the book of Revelation, the veil is pulled back for a moment and we get a glimpse into the throne room of God and we receive an invitation to join the saints in eternal praise and to live now with an unshakable faith in the reign of our God. Paul had that kind of faith as he wrote to the Ephesians about the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Even though he was writing from a prison cell instead of God's throne room, Neither his own circumstances nor the persecution of the early church could shake his belief in the present and eternal reign of Jesus Christ. How could he have such confidence that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, in the middle of the trials that he and the church faced? How can we look around at our own world and have such confidence. Clearly, we don't get that confidence by looking around and deciding that things are going pretty well, so God must be in charge. If our faith and our hope is rooted in our circumstances, it will never endure the sort of trials imagined in Revelation or the suffering promised by Jesus. It might not even endure past this week's election. Our hope is not in the circumstances, though but neither are we supposed to stick our heads in the sand and live in denial of the difficulties and challenges we face. In verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us where to look for our confidence in God's reign. He hopes that we know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Two real historical events attested by many witnesses serve as the linchpin for our faith and for our hope, the resurrection and the ascension, because this is the mystery of our faith that we proclaim every single week when we're here celebrating at the table, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In the resurrection, we have evidence that God's kingdom is breaking into this world and no power can stop it. This is echoed in the praises of the saints in Revelation. They were faithful unto death and still found Christ's reign secure. But it's important to note that while the resurrection undergirds our greatest hope, and we know that even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ, we're also not looking to death as just an escape from our circumstances. Our hope is also not for some abstract far-off future. It's not for when we can escape this world and get to another place where things are, where the circumstances are improved. The Christian hope is not merely for one day that we're going to get out of the mess, leave it behind, and then everything will be all right. Paul wanted the Ephesians and us to know that the greatness of God's power is evident here in the present day. And this is one of the reasons why he points not just to to the resurrection, but to the ascension. In the ascension, we believe that Jesus has gone to take his place at the Father's right hand now. He is there. Jesus reigns. Jesus is Lord, not at some point in the future. Not Jesus will reign when he returns. Jesus reigns now. As Paul puts it, God has seated him at this right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. This is a present, enduring reality. And we have to keep our eyes on the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus reigns now, and our hope is now because of of what he has done for us. Nothing that has happened this year or any other year has taken God off guard. No tragedy or travesty has come about because God's plans have been thwarted. Somehow, all of our present losses and hurts and sufferings are yet part of God's perfect plan. We cannot see how exactly, and there are days and moments, I'm sure, where it doesn't seem possible that somehow all of this can be worked into God's plan. But the resurrection doesn't seem possible if we just take it at face value. But it's true. It happened. God's power was made evident in raising Jesus Christ from the dead, and our hope is secure. The power of God is not limited to what seems possible to us. And one day we will find it works backwards on the hurts that we have suffered and brings about a joy that is greater joy for having walked through the sorrows that we suffer now. One of my favorite pictures of this is in the, the book, Lord of the Rings, or I suppose also the movie, if that's your thing. I'm, I'm more of a, a book person. Um, near the end of the, the final volume of the book, um, in The Return of the King, Sam and Frodo have exhausted themselves utterly in their quest to destroy the ring. They've been walking that long path. They have given their very last bit of energy. They take their very tiny last bit of whatever they have to walk out of the volcano where they have cast the ring. They've completed the quest, and they're just trying to find a place to die. They have no hope. They knew from the beginning that it was a mission that would take them into death. They collapse exhausted on the side of Mount Doom. But what they don't know is that with Sauron's power broken when the ring was destroyed, the eagles are now able to fly into Mordor and rescue them. They faint as that rescue comes, and Sam awakes to find Gandalf, who the last time he saw him had died, alive next to him, looking down upon him. And he delivers this famous line, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is every sad thing going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? The answer, of course, is yes. We look to Jesus as well and we say, I thought I was dead, but then again, I thought you were dead too. And is every sad thing going to come untrue? Yes, every sad thing is going to come untrue. For those who are in Christ, one day, every sad thing is going to come untrue. This is a beautiful story with a happy ending. And no matter how many times I consider both Sam and Frodo, their their plight, and then consider the gospel and what this is actually saying to us about the nature of the gospel, I feel moved to tears almost every time that I tell the story. But there's one more question that I find sometimes troubles my own heart and probably sometimes troubles yours, which is, this is a great story, a beautiful story. I want to believe this story, but do I really have a place in it? Because it's one thing to believe that God reigns now and forever in some sort of abstract sense. It's another thing altogether to believe that he will one day set things right. And yet, I think it's an even harder belief the even greater step of faith sometimes, to believe that when God sets things right, that I will be there, that you will be there. That in your particular story, with your particular sorrows, and struggles, and sins, every sad thing is going to come untrue. This is one of the reasons that God gives us the Holy Spirit. Walking back further into that Ephesians passage, in verses 13 and 14, he says in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the, promise of the, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, who was given to you when you believe the gospel, is the promise that God's word comes true in him he has already united you with jesus in his death and resurrection in him he has already begun to mark you as holy set apart and to and to prepare you for the eternal kingdom where he does have a place for you because you have the spirit of god you also have an enduring eternal hope and make no mistake if you believe that jesus is lord that god has indeed raised him from the dead you have repented and turned to him then you have done so by the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are times where that gift is, more, is easier to feel. There are times where it is more visibly evident. But 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The very fact that these mysteries have been unveiled to us tells us that God intends for us to participate in them. But God also knows that we at times need a tangible reminder That we are part of his kingdom. God knows that we are physical beings. He's made us with bodies and we need to touch and feel and see things with our own eyes and he's given us sacraments to help us with that. This is one of the reasons that we're celebrating a baptism today. Baptism is the initiation rite of the church. In just a few minutes when I baptize rain and lily sides, We're saying that we recognize them as part of this family. The family of God's people, the church. We are giving them a moment that they can look back on forever to remember who they are. Those who have been set apart for God. Who have been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And they have a place, now and forever, in his kingdom. We do this in response to faith because it is by faith we have been saved. Rain, who is a little older, will proclaim her own faith. Trevor and Lindsay are going to make a pledge of faith on behalf of Lily. We hope and expect that one day Lily will claim that for her own. But we baptize her now because she's already part of this family, part of the people in whom Jesus is working out his purposes for all things. And when we baptize these children, we'll also have a chance to renew And remember our own baptismal vows. Remember that we too are part of this family, this people in whom God has said that he is working out his purposes. Because whether you were baptized as an adult or whether you were baptized as a child, if you are here now, it is a sign of God's purposes being worked out in you. Listen to the final verses of the Ephesians passage that we read today as Eugene Peterson translates them in the message. I think this is a particularly beautiful rendering of this particular passage. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. So as we move into baptism and continue to proclaim the gospel in the liturgy of baptism, remember this. You, if you are a baptized Christian, are part of the church. And the church is at the very center of God's purposes. Because of this, you can have confidence that God is working out His purposes in you. And through you, that His kingdom will reign now and forever. And you have a place in it. This is the hope that we rest on. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.